Okay, so yeah, so these Wednesdays we've been taking a look at this uh, at a series called Maturity. And, uh, and so we started it two weeks back. And, um, and so Gavin, uh, started us looking at maturity. And, uh, and so I get to kick it up again. And so maturity, that way there's a love-hate relationship with maturity. Hey, um, don't you find that you want it and then you don't? Because when you want it, then you get a little bit more freedom, be a little bit older, and we get to enjoy the freedoms of maturity, right? Like, Remember that moment when you got your, like, well, for me, it was a G1. For you, it would have been your L, right? That moment, you're like, oh, right? And the moment where you first, like, go through the drive through like, that moment, right? Like, that is the moment of maturity. Okay, this is a funny story because when I first got... <laughs> When I got my license and I first went through the drive-thru, I went through um, Tim Hortons and I wanted to get like a, um, like a, a raspberry lemonade kind of a thing. And so I, and I came, I, I was with my friend Alistair and we were just having a lot of fun and probably listening to like, I don't know, like Kirk Franklin or something like that. Anyways, we were busting in, in the car and um, I was going to pay for my, my drink and it was like I had a toonie and that's all that I needed to pay for my toonie and it's my first time driving through the car or through the drive-thru and I like fumbled my toonie and I was like oh my gosh and I like was all like so and then I ended up having I was sitting there and then like somehow I don't know how I did it but like threw my feet up on my chair and then I was like hunched like standing on my seat in the car looking for my toonie it was such an awkward first Quigley style. It was such an awkward first car experience. Anyways, it was not a marker of maturity. I didn't look mature, didn't sound mature, but I felt like I was doing a mature thing just immaturely. Uh, but we have this, yeah, this love-hate relationship with maturity because we want that maturity, but then we don't want the responsibility that comes with it, right? Because once you get the car, then you have to pay for the gas. Yeah right? Or, (laughs) right? There's this tension between the reality, like the love and the joy of the, of maturity and then what we have to pay for it. And as I look back even, um, I remember, uh, desperately wanting to move out of my parents' home, not because I didn't like them. I just wanted to have my own apartment and I just wanted to have my own place. And I remember I would, that was like my happy thought going to bed is I would, I would decorate my apartment in my dreams and I couldn't wait to move out on my own. And, um, and I thought that that would be so, so wonderful. It'd be a, a great benchmarker of maturity. Once I got to that place where I actually could, then I realized that I actually had to like buy the furniture that I was dreaming of in my head and that I don't have the money to buy those things. So my apartment looked pretty shabby. And then I had to like clothe myself. And I didn't have money for that either. So, <laughs> And I had to like clean my own toilet because my mother or my roommates from Summit wouldn't do that for me. Because sometimes I would forget to clean the toilet. None of you guys do that, I know, uh, but I would do that. And so finally, in those places of maturity, I was forced to actually do something with it, and I didn't really like it. Um, so, but maturity, so that's what we're talking about, and we're taking a look at maturity from 1 Timothy chapter 4. 
And so what we're doing is we're seeing Timothy, who is this person who has been given this position of maturity, and he's got a, this, he's been great responsibility for his, um, in his ministry and his life. And so we see in 1 Timothy, you can turn there because we're going to start to read uh, 1 Timothy 4. But in 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, who's a young leader of the church, but he is leading the church nonetheless. And the church has got a bunch of different conflicts going on, a bunch of different challenges, both in the church and in the culture, um, in the city around it. And, uh, and so Paul is sending this letter to be a bit of an encouragement and counsel to Timothy. And so he talks about a few different things. And, uh, and so he talks about sound discipline or sound doctrine and how to behave in communal worship, um, church leadership. He talks about discipline, like personal discipline and how to be a caring church. And uh, it is in p- chapter four that we sort of land in our series on maturity. Gavin, two weeks ago, talked about how um, as a result of what, what is being written in first uh, Timothy chapter four, verses one through about 10-ish, um, he challenged us to eat well. Do you remember this? To eat well and, uh, and to get into our word, to actually be sustained by the word of God. And he challenged us to train hard, to be disciplined people, and to hope in any circumstances. So that was the encouragement that we were left with, um, and to do some R&R. Um, that was our, our encouragement two weeks ago. And so we pick up from there. Um, and so today we're going to be taking a look at verses 11 and 12 of First Timothy chapter 4. So why don't we turn there? And we're going to actually reread all of chapter 4 just to get a good sense of what's going on. I went too far. Okay, so First Timothy chapter 4. So the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith, follow deceiving spirits, and things taught by demons. Such teaching comes through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared by a hot iron. They they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know uh, know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truth of the faith and of the good teachings that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of, is of some value, but godliness is, uh, has value of all things, holding promises for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for those we labor, sorry, and for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and, and especially for those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of scripture, to preaching, to the teaching, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift 
which was given to you through the prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourselves wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. God, we pray that it would be your words that are heard this evening, and we just make ourselves available to what you have to say. Jesus, I pray that it's your, um, your spirit, your intention, your heart that comes through. And we, uh, yeah, we open ourselves up to hear what you have to say. So I pray all this in your name, Lord. Amen. So that is chapter 4, verses 1 through 15, 16. Okay, so has anybody here ever done the babysitting course? Babysitting course, yes. Does anybody not know what the babysitting course is? Oh, thank you for your honesty. Okay, so the babysitting course is something that usually kids who are about 12 years old go through. And, and it's this course where they learn, like they learn like a little bit of a first aid kind of situation and they learn how to be responsible people so that they can take care of other people. Um, that is what essentially what the babysitting course is. So I took the babysitting course when I was 12, Whew, a very mature age of 12. And I was probably, I probably still had like plastic sheets on my bed at 12. I was that mature. But here I was taking the babysitting course, getting a little certificate saying that I am able to take care of other people and little people. I do not know. I do not know why they gave me that thing. Anyways, I had this little certificate and I was in my neighborhood. There was the Portocollis family, and they had two boys, Paul and Peter. Paul was eight, Peter was six, and they needed a babysitter. And they asked me, 12-year-old Kim, yeah, man, it was a great summer. We would all bike to the swimming pool, and because I wanted to go swimming, not because they wanted to go swimming. And then anybody, like if you're from St. Catharines, Ontario, yeah, so there's, so by lock one, if you know what I'm talking about, lock one, there used to be this like, oh, so awesome. I don't think they do it anymore, but there were these sand hills and it was just these massive hills of sand and we would bike over there and then like I would lead the trip because I wanted to go, not because they wanted to. And I, you know, bring six-year-old Stephen along with me. Did I say Stephen or Peter? It's... It was Peter and Paul. No, it's Paul and Stephen. Stephen. Sorry. Stephen. So I drag Stephen up this hill, and then we'd, like, jump down and, like, fumble through the sand and get sand all in our hair and our faces, and he'd be, like, <laughs> like spitting out sand, and I'm, like, are you all right? Okay, let's do it again. Right? Like a very irresponsible 12-year-old taking care of two children who needed care. And, uh, and so, anyways, we... That was, those were not most days. We would do those every once in a while, but most days we'd like watch TV or they play video games or those kinds of things and we play outside. And I was doing my very best to take care of an eight-year-old and a six-year-old and I was 12. So one day I got to their house and 
Stephen wasn't looking so great. I thought, oh, Stephen, what would my mom do? Because I didn't even think about what the babysitter course taught me. What would my mom do? And so I thought, well, my mom always lets me come and watch TV and get all nestled, like nestled into like the couch. And so I got a blanket for him and created a nice soft space and he could rest. And that seemed to be good for a while. And so I just watched whatever they were watching. And um, and so I kept my eye on Stephen because I knew that I probably should. So I did. And, um, and so Stephen kept looking kind of not great. And so as the day went on, I just kept watching him. And so I got Paul, I got his brother lunch. And so I said, Peter, or Stephen, are you feeling like, are you feeling like lunch? And he says, no. And so at my house, if I wasn't feeling very good, but I kind of wanted to eat, but I didn't want to eat. And my mom would give me a popsicle. So I said, Stephen, would you like a popsicle? He said, so I got him, and I said, what color would you like? And so then I got him an orange popsicle, because that's the color that he wanted. So he was sucking away at this popsicle, cleared those two sticks off, no problem. And he's laying there still, and we're just, Paul's playing video games on his own. He's loving life, and I'm just keeping an eye on Stephen. But I'm noticing that he's turning a little funny color of green, And I'm thinking, oh, that is not good. So I just keep watching, not really preparing for anything, just watching. And I'm just noticing that he's not doing so good. And then he finally looks at me and says, Kim, I'm going to (laughs) barf. And I said, okay, we need to move. So anyways, in this house, it is a three-floored house, but... There is no bathroom in the basement floor, and there is no bathroom on the second floor. The only bathroom is on the third floor. And where are we? In the basement. So so I said, okay, Stephen, let's go. And we just start running. And so we run up the first set of stairs and turn around to the kitchen and to the living room and then get to the second set of stairs. And we run up and he's like, I'm not going to make it. And we get to the landing and orange everywhere, everywhere. And I honestly have no idea what to do. And I'm just standing there, just standing there. I'm 12. Like, what do I do? This kid just threw up. So I said, go to the bathroom and sit on the edge of the tub towards the, I just figured that's what you do. Just sit on the edge of the tub and you look at the toilet. And I said, I'll be right back. And I called my mother. I said, Mom, Stephen is sick. He just threw up on the ground, and I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do? And so she says, don't worry. It's okay. I'm going to come and help you. (sighs) Bev is the best. (sighs) So Bev comes to the house. Now, the wonderful thing is is Bev is literally on the other side of the wall because we lived in a townhouse. So she's right next door. So thankfully, she's right there. So Bev came around, and she's, like, tending to Stephen, and she's like, okay, Kim, you grab a cloth and some water, and you need to clean out, clean the floor. And I was thinking, but I'm 12. <laughs> I don't know how to clean up barf like you always do. <laughs> 
you always did this. And well, you're the babysitter now. You have to clean it up. And so I had to clean. Just so you know, orange popsicle is very hard to get out of ivory colored carpet. <laughs> very hard. Harder than um, is doable for a 12-year-old. So needless to say, there was a big mark left on their floor for a while. That was a bit of a bigger responsibility than I was ready for. My level of maturity really did not suit the situation. Um, Yeah. Thankfully, Bev was there to bail me out. Now, commentators might talk about this kind of situation as being a dramatic contrast, which I think is a fabulous phrase, a dramatic contrast. And in fact, that's what commentators call verse 11 and 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, a dramatic contrast. Contrast. So this section begins with this dramatic contrast where Paul says to Timothy, he says, you have this position. You've been given responsibility, command and teach responsibility. There's one on the one hand, he's got command and teach. On the other hand of this dramatic, like, contrast, we've got this, he can't, like, he's got the responsibility and you're too young. Don't let anybody look at you like you're too young. And so we have these two bits that are at odds, this dramatic contrast. And so here we have this man who's sitting in this place of Christian leadership, living out what he's supposed to be doing, but there are others that are getting in the way, potentially, of hearing the commanding and the teaching that he is supposed to do. Has anybody been there yet where you have been placed in a position of ministry that you feel like I am, this is way beyond me. Has anybody been there yet? Okay, if you have yet to put your hand up, wait a couple years, you will get there. You will get to a point where you will not know what you're doing, where you feel like your head is below water. You will get there. And my, I tell you, it's a wonderful place to be. <sighs> Doesn't feel great necessarily, but it's a great place to be because God moves in those places. So here he is in this dramatic contrast where he's dealing with this responsibility. So let's take a look at this responsibility bit. So he says to command and teach these things. So this is an expression that Paul has used within this scripture a few times, actually. And um, previously, Paul has been talking about how what... What he wants Timothy to do is to actually correct false doctrine. You, we find that more in chapter one. But here, Paul isn't saying to like correct error. What he's saying is, I want you to do like teaching. I want you to do thing, like teach things that need to be accepted, not things that need to be pushed away, but things that need to be accepted. So instead of being on the defense, what Paul is doing here is he's giving him an offensive play. He's saying, I want you to command and teach. But what is he supposed to command and teach? It seems really vague and odd. But what he's supposed to command and teach is what Paul has been writing in this in this scripture or in this letter so far, which includes this. In chapter 1, he covers that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. 
that there is love and mercy for all, that despite what culture might say that there is only one God and there is only one mediator who is Jesus, and that despite what culture says, God has a much better plan and has, has a much better design for men and women, far more than any kind of pagan worship that tries to warp what womanhood and what manhood actually is. God has a better plan than what, what his uh, culture is. And that those who serve in leadership, uh, they must be people of character. So that's what Paul has been saying. He's saying, to command these things and teach those things. So Paul is exhorting Timothy to address some pretty heavy topics um, and some pretty big issues. And that's a really big responsibility, a really big responsibility. And his responsibility to command and teach is actually in danger. That's the other side of this contrast. It's in danger of being undermined because because of his youthfulness or his age. And Paul says, don't let anybody look down on you because of your age. And when we hear about this exhortation, don't let anybody look down on you, which we probably all know and have memorized at this point, we think of Timothy being this young buck who doesn't really know, like he's still new in the realm of ministry, he's still new, doesn't really, he hasn't really got his feet wet much. Actually, this, this, this word that's being used for youth or young is, um, is the word for like a military age, which which addresses, like, anybody up to the age of 40. So, yeah, so when we're talking about young, we're actually talking all the way up to 40. So Gavin and I still fit the bill. Woo woo! <laughs> so um, while that's sort of the age bracket that could be, commentators say that he's probably somewhere in the realm of 30-ish. Probably, but that's just a guess. So it says that he's young, but he's for our standards or for your standards. Maybe he's not so young after all. And um, we think, when we think of young, we think of inexperience. But he's not inexperienced because it has been 15 years prior to this letter being written that Timothy actually joined Paul in his mission, in his mission and, and ministry work. And so it has been a, a decade and a half that Timothy has been learning following the example of Paul, and doing hands-on ministry. So, yes, he's young, but he's not, like, inexperienced. He actually knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. But in spite of all that, the church doesn't necessarily embrace him fully. Um, The apostolic canons states that a man that was to become a bishop They actually wanted um, him to be over the age of 50 because then he would, quote, he would be past the youthful disorders, whatever the disorders are. And so Timothy, yes, he's young, and he's young in comparison to Paul. And so the church could potentially be thinking, why do we want this young protege when we could have the older, wiser prototype, like why there's this, he could be at odds there. And the church regards him as, as with a little bit of suspicion, as if he doesn't fully know what he's doing, which can sometimes be the case in churches where people do look down on somebody because they're young. 
But what Paul is getting at here and what he's highlighting in this dramatic contrast is he's highlighting Timothy's maturity and his authority that has come with his calling. Because essentially what he's saying is, Timothy, you're in a position of maturity to command and teach. So command and teach. Don't let anybody look down on you so that you don't command and teach. You have it in you, so use it. Like he's getting at this point of, and it's not a, it's not a reprimand, it's an encouragement. Um, I have a story, a quick story uh, to tell you. So actually, it was, this past, it was this past summer. I was here where I was at a, it was a cluster meeting, and really all that means is a bunch of pastors were getting together talking about pastor things. And so we were taking some time to pray at the beginning. And so I was praying and, um, and I was feeling a little bit burdened, uh, a little bit burdened by my own inadequacies. And, and I think I was doing the burdening. Does anybody know what that's like when you do your own burdening on your own inadequacies as if those things are going to halt me from whatever God has called me to do anyways. So I was putting some pretty good burden on myself and doing some, uh, probably some good self-loathing at, at that moment. And, and I was praying, and I was trying to ask God to help me. And it was so wonderful. Because the Lord just said to me, that's enough. And it was like, like, that's enough. You don't have to do that anymore. And like that, it was this switch for me absolute switch. He said, I've given you enough time. That's enough. And I think the tone is similar here. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. That's enough. Can I tell you that whatever it is for you that you're, that, you know, the the thing that gets rolled around in your mind, it's enough now. It's enough. Because the reality is, is we have been called. We have been anointed. And so the things that try to get in the way of that calling, that's enough. That isn't actually, that isn't actually the case. So anyways, so here Timothy is having this exhortation of, okay, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Do your calling. And, and Paul is like, bringing up pieces of authority and maturity. And so I think it's important for us as taking a look at this text to to go back to some things that we know, like Romans 8, right? Romans 8, 14 to 17 says, for those who are led by the Spirit are children of God, and the Spirit you receive does not make you slave so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought you about into adoption of sonship or daughtership, childship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may share in his glory. Authority, Timothy's authority the authority that we have is found in our relationship with God. It's about maturity. Maturity is about authority. And our, our authority and our maturity is found in who we are in Christ. 
So if it's about who we are in Christ, and if it's about what the work of the Holy Spirit has done in our lives, then we have to go back then to where we started this year, right? To Luke 4. Because the same anointing that is, that is our calling, that establishes our authority, that is our, our point of maturity, comes from Luke 4. And Jesus, this is what it says for Jesus, and it is ours too, that the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's freedom. Our authority is our anointing. So when we talk about maturity, we're not just talking about growing up and getting our, like, our big boy pants on or getting our big girl pants on. That's not what we're talking about We're talking about authority. We're talking about how we live in this world because we are children of God. And that's what Paul is addressing when he's talking to Timothy. But Timothy wasn't really good enough because he was too young. But Jesus wasn't even good enough because he was from Nazareth. And what good thing comes out of Nazareth? Well, what's your because? It was because Timothy was too young, because Jesus was from Nazareth. Well, what's your because? Because we all have them. What's your because? What is the inconsequential thing that could get in the way of you living out your calling? What is the inconsequential thing that could get in my way of me living out my calling? Is it my own insecurities? Is that the insecurity? Is that the inconsequential thing that'll get in the way? Could it be things like, oh, I'm a new Christian. So because I'm not, I'm a new Christian, then I can't live out the calling that God's put on my life. Or because I'm not relevant enough, or because I'm too broken, or because I have health issues, or because I'm a woman, or because I'm a man, or because I'm a fill-in-the-blank. We all have these things. We tell ourselves these things. We have other people tell us these things. We have the enemy who tries to squander what God is doing in his advancement of the kingdom. We have the enemy who tries to tell us, because of this in your life, you can't do it. We all have a because. And sometimes what happens is we think that we're the only one that has a because. That I'm the only one. We all have a because. All of us. Don't let your, your because stop you from living out your calling. Thanks. <laughs> See, we live out that because factor. We live it out. But God loves becauses. The gospel is built on becauses. He loves them. That's the space for God to work. That's the space for the gospel to appear. That's the space for God's glory to shine. Because I'm unredeemable, really. But because of who God is, I am redeemed. Right? We are really, we're unable. But because of who God is, he has made me able to do it. And, and for you, I am weak, but because God is strong, I now have strength, right? It is in these becauses, it is in these spaces that we think are, we're going to get caught up, 
that we would stop doing our ministry, stop putting, doing the calling that he's placed on our lives. It is in those spaces that God shines. See, we need those spaces for, for us to get out of the way and for God to do his thing. So every day as we live out our calling, we live out those dramatic contrasts. We live it out because we are unworthy. We really are. But we have been made children of God. And we are unable, but we have been empowered through the Holy Spirit. Now, do not let anybody look down at you because you are young. If we were to stop here, we could feel pretty good, feel kind of amped for the next few weeks, right? You know, perhaps one might say, okay, world, here I come in my authority pants. Look out, right? Like, we might feel pretty good here. Now, if we stopped here, um, that would be a good place to stop. (laughs) Let me tell you why. Okay. First, if we stopped here, what we do is we actually take on our own responsibility to achieve our own authority, to establish our own authority. So I happened to Google establishing your own authority. There's actually a lot of stuff out there. There are a lot of articles about how you, in fact, could establish your authority in this world. You know what it says? Number one. Write a blog. That's how you can establish your authority in this world. Write a blog or write a book. That was another one. It also says to build up your social media platform. That's how you could establish your authority in the world. Orange popsicle. But we do it. We establish, we try to establish our own authority all the time. We do it all the time, right? Like when we start, when we do um, our, when we do our internships or whatever, we wear our best clothes, right? Like this, for instance. (laughs) Right? So to establish your authority on Sunday morning, we wear a tie or, you know, a beautiful pantsuit. But then to establish our authority at youth, we get all gangsted up. Right? Like we, we dress the way that we dress. We decide what authority we would have, right? Even the way that we, like, do we do a title or not? Oh, right? Like, we walk in, I'm Pastor Kim, I'm Pastor Kim, right? Like, we, we, can, th- we can throw our, we can throw a title around to establish authority. Are you a pastor? Yes. Can you use it appropriately? Absolutely. Can we misuse it? Absolutely. And, and then, you know, like, there are even things like, you know, Everybody has always called you Tommy forever in your life. And once you get your ministry position, you're now Thomas. Because that's an authority that, you know, that's a name of authority, right? Like we do these little things to establish our authority in the world. Did you know 
Here's a little fun tidbit that there are like speech therapists that pastors will see so that they can drop their voice just down a little bit lower so that they would have a more authoritative sound. So now, does that mean, so there's a plus to that. It is actually nicer to listen to a voice that's a little bit lower, right? It is nice. And to be truthful, that is something that I have worked on as a woman because my voice is higher than a man's voice. So I actually try to lower my voice a little bit because I know that for some ears, a higher pitched voice isn't as pleasant. However, what we can do is we can use that information to be helpful or we can use that information to throw our weight around, right? And to, to establish our authority. And so that's the danger. If we just were to stay in verse 12 and say, don't let anybody look down at you if you're, because you are young. If we were to stop there, that's the danger, is if we take hold of fixing the authority problem and making it ours to solve. That's the problem. And really, if we were to stop there, and if it was, if it was in our hands to establish our authority, that really is a sign of immaturity, not maturity. So we have Paul here saying, command and teach. Don't let anybody look down at you because you are young, but, and maturity is found in the but. <laughs> I've always wanted to do a sermon, God's butt is bigger than yours. Because I think that like, I think that could preach. That's not this sermon, but anyways. But Paul doesn't even say to Timothy, hey, Timothy, to establish your authority, why don't you work on your preaching skills? Or why don't you bring together a core group of people who you can pour into? Or why don't you, like, get better at casting vision? That's not what Paul is saying here. All he does say is, don't let anybody look down at you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Instead of trying to gain his professional muscle or trying to throw his theological weight around, instead of trying to become more aggressive or more like assertive in his position, Paul simply says, don't try to prove your age. Just show your maturity. That's it. That's all you got to do. Take a load off, Fanny. Like, that's essentially, like, just relax. Just live it out. And I suspect that when Paul says to Timothy, set an example, there's something that's really meaningful there for, for Timothy. Like, maybe more than it is for, for you and I, perhaps, just reading it. Because Timothy is a follower of examples. He followed the example of his mom, Eunice. And he followed the example of his grandmother, Lois. And he followed the example of Paul. And he followed the example of Jesus through Paul. Because even in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, if you follow me, you are following Christ's example. And so when, when he's saying, follow, make an example or send an example... What he's saying here is, you have grown in maturity because you have followed the example of others. Now, like, keep going. 
Now set the example so someone else can follow yours. Like, keep it going. Um, and so that really, that challenge to set the example is not the easier option. It really isn't. That's not easy. The, the word to set the example really, it means to like set a pattern and not a pattern of disrespect, but a pattern for all of the office people out there. Uh, but it's a pattern nonetheless to, to show. And this is something that is key for Paul as well because he gives this same exhortation to Titus. In Titus chapter 2, he says, In everything set then an example by doing what is good. So this idea of letting your actions speak is really big for Paul. And, uh, and so he says to Timothy and to Titus to become this pattern. And that really, the, the call to be a pattern setter is a, is a harder call than to preach just one sermon. Like it really is putting uh, action to your words, and that's hard. And, and so, I, so I'm super convicted to be truthful. I'm super convicted, and I hope that you would share that with me a conviction that we would be so close to Jesus that we would follow after Jesus so well that we would be worthwhile to set to follow an example, that someone would follow our example well, that we are so close to Jesus. Because that's where maturity is found, is if we're close to Jesus and we follow his example, then our example is worth following. And so here we are, um, we're supposed to follow this particular pattern. And so Paul outlines just a few things. He outlines five different things that Timothy is supposed to show an example in. And so the first one is in speech. So yes, it, it, yes, it can be teaching and it could be preaching, but really it's just in any kind of talk, in anything we say, what we say in public or what we say in private. And Paul has a lot to say about what we say. He talks about, in Ephesians and Colossians, he talks about things that we should avoid in our speech. He talks about how we should avoid falsehood and anger and bitterness and slander and malice and filthy talk and abusive talk. But then he also talks about things that we should pursue, types of language that we should pursue, like truth and edification, admonishment, tenderness, love, forgiveness, thankfulness. So speech is a really big thing. And so what's coming out of our mouths? Like what is coming out of my mouth? What is coming out of your mouth? I'm convicted. I've been trying to think through the things that I say. And I got to be... Okay, I got to be honest with you. Moment of, 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 yeah, moment of vulnerability here. We were talking just before more that since, the, then, since this year is talking about character, there's the potential that our character could come up against or something could wrap up against our character. And I was having a conversation with uh, one of the youth pastors and they were sharing something, a difficulty that was going on in their lives. And I was trying to uh, empathize with them. And as I was trying to empathize with them, I was in my mind taking their side. And I said something unkind, not unkind, but just not, not a point of character um, about the situation. 
And it showed a very bad attitude. And it shocked me. And I was so, I was so disappointed in myself. Because it, it was at that moment where my character was in check. It happens so quickly, what we say. It's in what we say that we show our maturity, where we can rise or where we can make a fall. I made a fall. And I, ha- and I actually, I have, it's been on my heart this whole week that I have to respond back to my friend and apologize because I was wrong. I was wrong. I was thinking that I was trying to be there for her and I was wrong. Um, but what are we actually saying? And I think it's really important for us to ask this question, not in a place of like, just in ministry, because often we feel like, okay, once I get into my ministry role, whatever that might be, once I'm in that space, then I'm going to be like, I'm going to be sharp. And it's usually in the spaces where we're with our people that we're more comfortable with, where we're less sharp. And that was true for me. I was less sharp And it is in those spaces that we can miss these points where we can say something that we wish we hadn't have said. And so I'm challenged. I'm convicted. And so I'd like to, I'd like for you to be joining with me. What are we saying? And then in our life, and really when he's talking about our life, it means like, how are we behaving? What do we do? We know that in, um, in Ephesians 4, it talks about how we are to, we were taught, it says, with regard to your former ways of life, to put off your old self, which is corrupted, and, and uh, by deceitful desires, and to put on, but you've made new, a new attitude of your mind, and to put on your new self, created to be like God. Our behavior, we, can, we have to choose how we're going to behave. If that's an act, right? We have to put on, that's a choice. And so, How am I behaving? How are you behaving? Does our behavior, is it marked as a person that is worth following? My prayer is that it is. And the question is, is is my behavior congruent with my words, what I was saying? Are my words congruent with my behavior? And so my question is, Holy Spirit... My question for you and my question for me is, Holy Spirit, what is it in my life? What am I doing that maybe needs a little bit of correction? And show me where I might be, like, doing okay. Because sometimes we can get a little bit, like, hyper hard on ourselves. Um, He talks about love, that we should be, and we shouldn't be surprised that Paul talks about love. Love is in all kinds of Paul's writings um, that we need to be showing love. In Colossians 3.14, it says, beyond all things, put on love. In Ephesians 5, verse 2, it says, walk in love, just as Christ also loved you. It's in virtually every part of, of Paul's writings. It's this huge, decisive quality of what he sees in a Christian life. And so how do I love? Do I love somebody else because I want them to love me back? Am I, am I loving, um, do I have particular requirements of my love? Yeah, do I love things just to, um, just for me? That's not the love that we get from Jesus, and yet that's often my, my approach, our approach. And so then the question is, is how, how do we love? And then in faith, 
So this is a Christian virtue. And I'm challenged with faith because I'm challenged with the question, do we actually take God at his word? What if we believed what God actually said? What kind of example would we lead if we believed what God has to say? Um, That's a question that I would love for us to ponder. What if I took God at his word? What, what, is, what are the changes in my life? What are the behaviors that might change? What are the things that I might say? And then impurity. It speaks of our motives. Yeah, like when we think about purity, we often think about like sensuality, sexuality, morality, like that kind of a thing. But what's getting here, what's hitting home is, is what are our intentions? What are our intentions in the way that we, the way that we live? Are we congruent? Do my actions, are my motives, are they pure? Are my motives for the better intention, are they for the the intentions of another person? Are they for their betterment instead of mine? And it's in these things, in speech, in life, in love, in faith, in purity. These are the pieces that, that our faith shines through. It's in these things that, as we follow Jesus, it shines through. And so it's in these things that we find is the examples of our maturity. And so my question, or where I'd like to leave us tonight, and I'll ask the band to come up. We have these, we have these challenges to live out in these certain ways. And... And it was in those things that Paul said, hey, like, Timothy, don't worry if people think that you're young. If you just live out these ways, they'll see your maturity. And so my challenge to us is to pick up, pick up Paul's words here and sort of take a look at our lives in these areas. And how's our maturity? Where are we sitting as mature followers of Jesus. It's an absolute honor to be a mature follower of Jesus. I think sometimes we consider ourselves kids all the time, but we can be mature adults for Jesus. And, um, and so we're, we're going to just sort of end with um, the same fi- the final song that we sang before. I forget what it's called, but we're going to end with that. And then with a word of prayer. Um, but can I challenge you just to consider these things? Maybe do some internal assessing, asking the Holy Spirit to highlight some things if things need to be highlighted. But would you stand with me as we just uh, turn our attention back to Jesus, off of ourselves and back to Jesus, and, um, yeah, and consider and ask the Lord, lead me to be more mature in these areas.